0: Hey everybody. Uh, Thank you for tuning in this month. Uh, This is Hot Shots, my podcast where I interview local musicians, artists, and Canadian entertainment professionals about what it's like to work within the industry. And today I'm hanging out with my buddy Chris Hampton. Chris is a Hamilton-based freelance journalist and uh, you can find Chris online on Instagram under Chris period Hampton and on Twitter under Chris R Hampton. Uh, so, hey, Chris.
1: Hey, Sarah, and hello, listeners, and thank you for that lovely introduction.
0: Anytime, anytime. Uh, how are you doing tonight?
1: We're doing okay. We have a decaffeinated Earl Grey tea here and a large glass of uh, water, and so we're we're ready to go.
0: Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Got two drinks. Um, you're prepared for anything?
1: I'm a, a two-drink fellow when I do interviews. I uh, I don't know if it's like a conversational crutch or what it is, but I often have uh, somewhere where my hand can go and find something, yes.
0: That's true. That That's a good tip, actually. Uh, yeah, I don't have a drink right now, but uh, you've inspired me, so I'll do that next time.
1: <laughs> Hot tip. Yeah, Get a drink.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess we'll kind of start off with like some basic shit. Um, where did you grow up? Are you from Hamilton originally?
1: Yeah, I'm from Hamilton. I grew up in Stony Creek, so uh, the east 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 part of Hamilton. Cool. Um, And I lived there until I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. And then I moved to Toronto for some more
2: school.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Born and bred. Uh, What kind of, like, music and art in general uh, did you grow up around?
1: Mm, Okay, so I was, like... I was born in 86, so mm-hmm. hitting that stride when you're 10, 11, 12, really starting to get interested in music as a way to, you know, explore your identity and stuff like that, and those are like the prime much music years, mm-hmm. and big shiny tune years, and things like that, so I think I have a pretty like, like eclectic taste in music kind of because of that. Sure. Um Also, like, (laughs) I was one of those, like, high school kids who was, like, very into, like, pirating music. So, like, that was really uh, World is Your Oyster and pick from tons of different things. Yeah. Uh, So, like, it was everything. Like, um, I liked, like, pop punk music in that, like, Blink-182 kind of emerging era and that kind of, like, uh, California skate punk, like, Green Day that kind of stuff. And then I also liked like I my the first band shirt I had was like a prodigy shirt, so like, you know, industrial techno music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was also always into like hip hop. I took uh, I took hip hop. This is terribly nerdy and embarrassing. I took <laughs> hip hop dance classes when I was four years old. That's incredible. And so like so like that kind of always stuck with me. So, yeah, I yeah, kind of always had a pretty eclectic taste in music. And then, uh, with art, I was like a kid who just drew a lot. And then, like, in high school when you had to do your community service or whatever, community hours, uh, I taught at an art camp. But I didn't keep up with art in high school. So I was always kind of just, like, a fan of it and not, like, a producer of visual art.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm just picturing a bunch of little, like, four-year-olds, like, break dancing and oh. stuff. Is that what that was like?
1: Oh, I mean, it was four-year-olds, so, like, we were not break dancing. It was, like, one, <laughs> two, one too and like yeah. a great photo of like all of us in this like posse pose and oh like i think God. i think the and we have like uh red uh like handkerchiefs like tied around our heads <laughs> and like like lumberjack uh shirts but they're like sleeveless so they're like just vests
2: oh, incredible. and
1: like ripped ripped denim shorts and i think we danced to um To crisscross it was it was it was the crisscross song
0: amazing Amazing. and
1: uh yeah so that should give you the picture it was not four-year-olds break dancing it was like like uh like barely making two steps across the stage
0: yeah yeah oh i'd kill to see those photos that's great
1: oh they exist somewhere yeah
0: yeah uh who was like who was the first artist that that spoke to you and that you know um made you want to Pursue, um, you know, either creating art, but also like talking about art and learning about art. Uh, what was the first artist or musician that that spoke to you like that?
2: Okay, it's uh,
1: that's kind of interesting because like there's two different kind of streams there for me. Sure. When I first started writing, uh, I started writing about music, mm-hmm. and that came directly from me like playing music and kind of being involved in the local music community. And so like a lot of the first writing I did was for like local music blogs about. Uh, the Hamilton and Ontario music scene
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so it was kind of like immediate contemporaries who were inspiring to me at that point in time when it comes to visual arts there's an there's an easier answer and I always liked art but it wasn't until I moved to Toronto and I was visiting the AGO regularly I was always a fan like I was going to see museums I saw work by the um Montreal-born artist David Altman, and it's called The Index. Mm. It was a huge installation that's full of mirrors and these, like, bird person mannequins that Ooh. have weird, like, genitals on their necks. Cool. And all these, like, hidden crystals and trees. It's the work that he had presented a few years before at the Venice Biennale. Yeah. It's called The Index. Yeah. And... It's not like I hadn't seen installation before but it was just like span the whole room and you walked around it and there's so much to like investigate and explore and it just felt like a really magical kind of experience and I remember seeing that and being pretty blown away by it and then visiting again like a couple months after and it was like gone it wasn't in the space and I asked the security guard like hey we're where did that go? Or it wasn't a It was like a docent, somebody who worked giving tours at the museum. Asked him like, "Where'd that go?" And he said, "Oh, you'll you'll probably see that somewhere else before you see that here again. That's that's down in the vault, and I, I'm not sure when the next time we'll take that out is. So it was that kind of experience of like, oh, and now it's gone. Mm-hmm. I ended up writing a story about it, about where it goes to sleep about museum vaults and mm-hmm. the way they try to rotate vaults or some museums do a really bad job rotating the art that they collect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like the first thing I wrote about visual art that really kind of set me on that path. Yeah. And it was like really particularly that artist who I did end up uh, writing like a profile of and like going to meet and hang out in the studio uh, when he was in Queens, like uh, many years after that or a few years after that. At least.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's super cool. Um, I'd love to read that piece.
1: Uh, so the first story was in Maisonneuve. Neuve. Uh, it's going back to like 2012 or 2013. It was when I was in J school. It was mm-hmm. Towards the end of J school, that I had Sorry. that piece. And then I ended up writing about David Altman in The Walrus, like two years after that.
0: Oh, in The Walrus. Nice. Beauty. And um, when it, it was that kind of the moment that you became passionate about art or is there can you point to a specific moment where you decided this is what I want to focus on um in my career is like music and arts and you know all of that
2: so I
1: think I'd already decided that I was like just kind of an arts person like
2: mm-hmm. like
1: uh, as much as like j school and me getting into writing like, like oh yeah, I should keep my, my options open for what a job could be I was just always interested in in the culture side of things mm-hmm. like movies and music and visual art and to some extent food and that kind of thing. And, um, I think I would have been open <laughs> to other, other kinds of work if they opened up. But that story that I did, um, about the index and, and museum vaults ended up being like a really good launch pad for me. Um, and it it got me nominated for some awards in in um, the world of of magazine, and then also art writing. Amazing. And I had I had some editors just come to me and say like, Hey, is this something you're interested in, and you'd like to to continue with us? And so it, it opened some doors for me. That particular job, that I, or that particular story, that I think if that didn't happen, my path in journalism likely would have looked differently. Hmm. But I did realize like. I found very quickly after that story, like, oh, there aren't a ton of people writing about visual arts in Canada, especially in a way that's kind of, like, um, accessible and feature um, That isn't, like, hard art criticism, but is like, trying to tell kind of uh, interesting but accessible stories about art. Yes. So I sensed that that was maybe something that I could do. And like I said, uh, a number of doors opened where some editors said, like, i was at that time just about to graduate j school and they're like hey you should pitch me and i've got a story for you and so it kind of spun off a little bit more work which you know uh just kind of multiplies from there that's the way those kind of contact network growing experiences usually happen
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: see this is why you need a website because i want to i want to see what awards you won and i want to see those old articles and everything and you need to link to it Okay, I
1: need to be clear. I didn't win any awards. Okay. I runnered up in two awards a year. Close (laughs) enough. I'm fully like, uh, that's why my LinkedIn is like a depressing thing where it's like, runner up, silver, second place. Oh, well. (laughs) It's it's never a winner, but it helps. It all helps. The recognition is appreciated.
0: Yeah, second place is huge. Come on. (laughs) Come on. We can't all be first place.
1: We can't all be first place. It would be nice to get, you know what? No, I won't even say it. It's okay. It's okay if I don't ever get first place. But
2: Mm -hmm. the -hmm.
1: recognition does help. It does always end up spinning off something.
0: It does. It does. That
1: means something that means that I can pay rent, you know? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's the major thing.
1: Yeah. Totally.
0: Um, when did you become interested in journalism?
1: Um, I'm a pretty it's a pretty like unromantic answer and it's like okay I always knew that I liked writing mm-hmm. and that took a lot of different forms like in high school I would write short stories or like awful poetry mm-hmm. um I was into writing though I was always into writing and in the kind of early blog era I did have like for a short period of time my own blog where I was kind of like uh you know taking pictures of stuff that taking pictures of stuff that i thought were cool that was cool and writing like little blurbs about it um and that turned into writing for a few music blogs and at some point i was i was playing in bands working kind of shitty jobs and i'd already graduated university i think i was like two years out of university and it was like okay, like I gotta figure out something to do. And my, like, English and philosophy degrees aren't really, you know, they don't seem to be opening too many doors for me, or at least ones that I seem to be interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music thing isn't really happening the way I, I'd hoped that it would. <laughs> and so uh, it was like, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying writing about bands. This is a cool thing. Um, and I think I was between, like, taking York's, like like, creative writing program or Ryerson's, like, two-year journalism program. And it was like, I like the kind of, like, writing about music and stuff that I'm doing. Maybe maybe I should go that way. And that seemed like uh, a place or an industry where there's more jobs. And certainly, uh, it seemed like a bit of a firmer path than taking, like, a creative writing degree or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so it was uh, the unromantic, pragmatic choice that this might more easily become a job. Right. Of course, like, first day... Of school your teachers are like yeah journalism is not the industry that we uh that we started out in it's a really tough time out there and they especially didn't tell you that like and if you're uh you want to write about art you're like, basically fucked
2: you oh, i'm aware i'm aware <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a tough go it's a tough go but um it seemed like a way that i could write and scratch that itch Mm -hmm. and also make some money doing it you Mm -hmm. know but make it a way to live
0: yeah yeah oh you picked the perfect industry to rely on for a full-time career like that like just like (laughs) the the amount and like you know it might have been different when you chose it but the amount of like full-time jobs in journalism right now uh very little very little
1: okay here's the analogy that i've always been working on in my head Kay. And it's not like a "woe is me" story or a "woe is you" because you're in the same boat too. Yeah, but I felt when I got out of school, yes, the the options were dismal already. I mm-hmm. I kind of already gone this way with visual art, and it was just, and I I at that point in time, right when I finished, yeah, I had some other things come up, but I was also um I was working for a music magazine, very very part time. Mm-hmm. I was working for the magazine Chart Attack. It had gone already only online at that point in time, but that was like my bread and butter. Like they're going to pay me a few hundred bucks a week and that's what I live on. And then it's the picture, other stories Uh, where I was going with this was the analogy that I've always felt was I was looking at the legacy media because that's J school, you know, like that's kind of where you train your eye. So I was looking at like the big city papers and national papers and thinking like, Oh, well they, they still got a music writer. And they still got an art critic. And like, I'm going to get in, I'm going to try and get in line for one of those jobs. That's what it felt like, mm-hmm. at least when I was starting out. And so I was pitching stories and I'd get the, like, oh, uh, our art critic is handling that or our music writer's is already kind of shotgunned that one. And at some point in time, I met those folks and we had conversations and they're like, they're like I don't want to step on your toes. I want to help you. I want to help you get in here. Like, I, you, seem, you seem serious about it. I want to help you out and it also always felt like I was like in line at like a deli counter or something like that, yeah, and not that I was like entitled to those jobs, but that's what i was that's what I was going up the counter to hopefully hopefully get get in for, you know, yeah, and at some point in time when I was in line, uh in both those cases, the kind of music critic and art critic who I was who I was friendly with and like really talking to a lot, and they were providing some mentorship, um both of them either. Left their post for a, a better, bigger job at a different newspaper or took a buyout because the position wasn't seen as a priority going forward.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it felt like while I was in line for that job, the store kind of closed. Yeah. Like it was not that my number would never get called, it's just that the store closed. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And to some degree, I feel like I got locked in the store.
2: Like, yeah. I'm
1: just committed to these things now. though though, uh the you know those jobs are never going to come up there's never going to be the like these guys are making uh you know 80 to 100 maybe a little bit more thousand dollar jobs doing this Mm -hmm. and all those positions have just been replaced more or less with with uh whatever kind of freelance work they can buy Mm -hmm. so like i feel like i've become committed to this world and those jobs are never coming back Mm -hmm. so i feel a bit like a fool but I've, i've been i've been uh I've been so sucked into this world and I really care about it. So yeah. <laughs> I do want to write about this stuff. I do want to, you know, act in that world for sure. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. You give me a lot of hope.
1: <laughs> I give you a lot <laughs> Here's the thing though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the big, or comfortable job might not exist. Mm-hmm. But I think we can find other ways to, to make it work. Yeah. And I, I, I'm still hopeful that we can find ways to make it work more equitably Mm -hmm. also, Mm -hmm. like not just like struggle and be able to pay rent and blah, blah, blah. I, I think there's, I think there's a model still to come, um, that that's gonna, that's gonna help us more. I'm not quite sure what it looks like, but there's gotta be something. Okay. Because I am, uh, positive that people still love music and art. Yeah. And I think people still love, uh, talking about those things and hearing conversation about those things. So I think, the kind of services and the conversations and the stories we provide are still valued. It's just about how do we connect in a way that we can be compensated fairly for them.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. Um, could you describe, uh, the typical work that you create, uh, for anyone who's unaware for anyone who's never read a piece of yours? Um, what is your typical, what do your typical projects look like?
1: Okay. So, um, they look like a number of different things, and I think this is part of being like kind of like a freelance writer. Is you got to be able to do a number of mm-hmm. number of different jobs, mm-hmm. and so ideally, I'm balancing a num like a, a nice variety of types of work, and so uh, maybe it's like a short five to seven hundred word story, kind of thing you'd read in a couple minutes that tells a cool story about. Um, uh Canadian artist and maybe a Canadian art exhibition or maybe a trend in art. And that's kind of like what I'd consider like a an online or newspaper size thing. And I'm always also trying to balance at the same time something bigger. And I think that that was the world that I got into it for was like feature length magazine kind of stuff. But you can't, at least not in my experience, you can't just only book tons of magazine size jobs. So you kind of just always got one one going on. So that's like a 2,000 to 5,000 word you're going to sit down on a Sunday evening and read it kind of thing Mm -hmm. Um, and like I said before I'm not really into like hard arts criticism I'm into uh, I my friend group aren't like not many of my friends are like super individual arts so I always think of it as how would I explain this story and what's interesting about it to them and those are the kind of stories that I'm, I'm like, interested in telling. Like, I want to portray the sense of, like, magic that I often feel um, when I experience art. And I want to I sell it to people who might not always be inclined to go into a gallery or something like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Have you ever had a, um, like, a bad reaction to an article of yours?
1: A bad reaction to an article of mine? Mm-hmm. So I had, like, uh, my internship, I did an internship at the National Post at a point in time Mm
2: -hmm.
1: on the arts desk there, and it was, like, like, they have a notoriously, like, uh, troll-ridden comment section. (laughs) And so, yeah, like, lots of my articles will get, and, you know, like, the art section of the National Post, National Post is, like, Famously as a, a kind of pretty, pretty right wing bias, and so, mm. but they did at that point in time have a have an art section that have all landed other papers that are like really phenomenal art writers, and people who write about fashion and movies, and uh, and that sort of thing, and and uh, very talented, and and yeah, the our stories would pretty regularly get picked on. <laughs> mm.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, and recently, I'm trying to think, I, I can't. I can't think of anything in the recent that's had a really bad reaction.
0: No. Okay. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Did you, you
1: ever have you ever put a restaurant a really bad reaction?
0: Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I've I think I I I. You said you haven't done a lot of reviewing before.
1: Um, I used to review like when, my, when I worked at Chart Attack. I'd re- reviews pretty regularly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean like yeah for the music reviews that I've done or movie reviews um no I haven't gotten that many I've gotten some some music reviews that got kind of like a let's say middle of the road um uh reaction so nobody who blew up about it but people who maybe ignored my review which is <laughs> interesting um besides that no not really I just I just know that you know especially like you said um you mentioned a lot of trolls on those comments from the national post um i've definitely seen um like let's say like uh, fandoms attacking certain music reviews and stuff like that and so i'm wondering if that ever crossed over into your territory at all
1: oh yeah if you touch like taylor or yeah Bay or, like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um yeah, no, I never really had that experience so much. Okay. Um tech likes to keep it pretty weird, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we didn't really run into that problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, once in a while, I've seen, like, I write a lot for CBC Arts. Mm-hmm. And there's a particular uh, section of... of uh, kind of alt-right alt, Canadian alt-right alt, uh, folks and, and some part bots who really like to, to scan CBC articles for things that they see as evidence of uh, why the CBC should be defunded. So no, every once in a while, one of my stories might might end up uh, trafficking there and get like uh, picked up by, by that weird end of, of Canadian Twitter.
2: Uh, wow.
1: But it's never like, you know, I hear so many journalists have horror stories about how that comes back to them with, like, horrific threats and anything like that. Yeah. I've never had that experience. Good. And so I feel terrible for people who have had that. I've never had that kind of experience.
0: Good. Good. It's like, guys, like, get a job. Like, what do you... You have that much free time?
1: You know I get... what? I secretly think... Oh, I don't secretly think. I think it is some of their jobs. Hmm. Like, yeah. I, I think it's, like, troll farm kind of stuff sometimes. Can
0: you, can you imagine getting paid full-time to be a troll?
1: Um... I like. I would love if, if if I wasn't so fastened in the world of art. Yeah. I would love to do that story if you could somehow get the eye and like not like the you know the Russian troll farm like which is like
0: that's like a whole other shade
1: which does exist a thousand percent exists but like that stereotypical thing I yeah. like just because it exists. There's Canadian troll farms. Like mm-hmm. I want to I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what they're doing.
0: Wow. Same. That sounds like a vice be, piece.
1: Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's fully like a, a kind of old vice era article. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, if you have the free time, you should pitch it to
1: them. <laughs> yeah. I'm scared. That's like that's like that's like a scary one to crack into.
0: That know? is that is terrible. That is a
1: scary one to crack into. Like yeah. I just said, I've never I've never uh, took any fire in the, in the DMs from those people. Yeah, that's the one where it would uh, you'd be bringing them all on. eh? <laughs> oh,
0: you would be. Yeah, you would. Yeah, be. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Um, my favorite comments to see on um specifically arts pieces and like specifically music um all these comments and I see them on Facebook mainly are like Um, who is this again, or are we supposed to care about this person like over and over and over again? it's oh, it's incredible,
1: yeah, and I often find it on like um stories where the names are a currency that, like, yeah, you to- totally should know about now. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, I mean, you absolutely should know about these people.
0: Right? Yeah, it's like, um, where, where do you live? How do you not know who this is? Like, yeah.
1: yeah. And why, like, why do you follow Stereo gamma Pitchfork so closely that you still have to tag, put this on every, <laughs> on every post? Literally? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: um...
1: Have you ever had, okay, I got, I got one for yeah. you, I'm gonna ask you a question. Yeah, go have ahead. You ever, have you ever had a bad interview?
0: Um... Yeah, yeah. Um I think more bad moments than like maybe whole bad interviews. Um well, let's see. Um the the first thing that comes to mind is actually when an interview um was canceled. Um, so I, I actually, I, I did want to ask you this question later, but I guess I'll ask it now. But, um, so my, my end of that was like, I had to, um, I had to cancel a a radio interview, um, because I was not feeling great that day. I had a lot going on. It was mainly mental health, you know, issues and everything. Um, so I canceled on uh, my guest that I was going to be interviewing, right? Um, so this was a, a musician, not, not giving any hints a musician um who like is not big whatsoever but you know is not the smallest um and they essentially um ghosted me and then i heard later from like a mutual friend that it's because they um quote uh don't reschedule
1: oh that's a yeah. really weird
2: policy that's a yeah. strange policy
0: very strange and so and i'm also sitting there and i'm like oh if this was like if this was like a tv interview if this was like a cbc piece if this was like something else you would definitely reschedule for them but not for me like it was yeah, very <laughs> that's, that's
1: a kind of egoism
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah Yeah. and something i did not want to touch with the 10-foot pole so i was like i'm okay there i will pass you know i'm i'm good (laughs) so yeah i had that um do you have any weird stories with like artists or maybe even with like publications or anything like that
1: um one of my first like first kind of like big interviews like i've already done like you know, lots of stuff for school or you're talking to somebody like who like runs a neighborhood business and like, it could be awkward and all that. That's whatever. that's all like getting that kind of, uh, the jitters out of you when you're, you're having those experience experiences. But yeah, when I was working for the the national post, um, it was September or October, maybe it was like August, maybe. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like film events and comedy events in Toronto at that point in time, and they were like fully just shot me right into uh, onto the stage, and it was like the first week is like okay, your first interview is with. Uh, do you want to interview Bob Saget? We want to do a story with Bob Saget, <laughs> and I I was like yeah, cool. And so like uh, JFL 42 was just starting, so we did, uh, and he was like curating like a, a blue comedy. Uh, kind of showcase or something like that. Yeah, and he was like amazing. Like Bob Saget was incredible. Yeah, and he, like I, I still, I kept that recorder, like a very old recorder of mine, almost just because it has that Bob Saget interview on it. Mm-hmm. And he was so kind and funny, and made me feel like I was doing an okay job. And it was such a positive experience. Cool. My interview immediately after that <laughs> was <laughs> was the director John Carpenter. yeah Uh, like like halloween yeah and i could have the months wrong here but the olympics were on at that point in time okay and it probably would have been john carpenter was coming to toronto for some reason uh for a showing of halloween it was like some anniversary showing i could have this all these details wrong It was something like that yeah and john carpenter probably had a press day where they, they set him up with, you know, like a dozen of these interviews back-to-back, like they got 10 minutes with John Carpenter. And I get on the phone, and I, you know, like really judiciously, um, like, ha- have researched my questions. Because um, I wasn't, like, a huge John Carpenter fan. Like, I, I I got the aura. I got why he was so big, and I respected it. So I really put the time into research it. Mm-hmm. I had, like, a nice tight five, six questions. And immediately when I got on the phone, he was just like, let's get this over with the American basketball game starting up. And I would much rather be watching that. And so it really just threw me off. And like, it was just like combative and like kind of bitter. And uh, you know what? I think that's everything you want John Carpenter to be. I think he was like, I think it was a genuine John Carpenter experience. I don't feel badly about it or anything, but it really, it threw me off. And I felt like I knew nothing. (laughs) That wasn't his fault. Like he was just, being him doing what he does yeah but it really threw me off being green dealing with people who are you know all sorts of different ways
0: yeah yeah absolutely and you know like i i get from his end where this is probably like the sixth interview of the day and so he's like i want to go but that's not fair to you like
1: i i know i know we're yeah. doing a job here but yeah, it was uh, just another day for him, whereas, you know, it was like a big, big deal for me. This is just something he's doing literally like uh, on the phone while he's got the TV on in front of him on mute
2: probably.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. so <sighs> funny. That's fantastic. Um, I, I did just think of something that um, that was shitty. Uh, the, the interview wasn't shitty, but I, I made a mistake that was pretty shitty. <laughs> um, there was this one time where I was doing a, um, a pretty crappy internship. Um, at a magazine that I won't mention but I've done a few of those Um, you know unpaid internship all that stuff so uh, I
1: agree
0: oh yes oh yes and I think like illegal like I was not in college yeah like completely illegal so Anyways, um, I was in that and I'd basically be thrown um, some like uh, music release, like some pure packages and stuff. And and I'd be, you know, set up to do interviews with like musicians from Canada and stuff and then write a little piece for the magazine. So um, I got connected with this artist um, and I was at the time not only doing this internship, but doing like a bunch of other things. And um, I did not listen to this artist's music. Okay, I did not do it. I did not listen. Um, I, I wrote questions um, and I got this artist on a Zoom call and I was talking to her um, and uh, I asked her um, what where, where her inspiration comes from for her lyrics. And uh, that's where she uh, clarified that um, her music is instrumental. The lyrics... <laughs>
2: I so. uh, hey, okay.
1: So you know what? This is. Uh, yeah. I think I've had this lesson in a different way. Oh yeah. About the the like, but the, the I, 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 no no particular ones come to mind. But I definitely had those moments. Yeah. Where I said something where it's like, oh yeah, if I if I, if I did that little extra bit of research, I would have saved. I would have saved myself from that one, from mm-hmm. stepping on that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a good lesson. But you know what? I I feel like I learn over and over again yes like yeah. the right of me, there's there's definitely a too much research like you, you know based on what a job is worth like you really can't give it like hours and hours and hours always mm-hmm. but like there is like a minimum that you're gonna respect the, the source you're interviewing and also like not not embarrass yourself also
2: yeah <laughs> and absolutely. i think i've
1: learned i've learned to at least get get me that much usually
0: yes yeah like i definitely should have listened to a song of hers Um, but like, also she was like so incredibly sweet and like took no offense to it. And the saddest part is that she was like, oh, that happens all the time. And I'm like, oh, Oh, (laughs) yeah. So I guess a lot of people don't listen to her music.
1: Do the same thing?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I always heard, and I don't know if this is how true this is of most book reviewers, but book reviewers, um, a lot of professional book reviewers do not read a whole book before they review it
2: in yeah.
1: uh, that always kind of blew my mind yeah but it was like oh yeah no how would you expect us to read the whole book if we have to like pump out like three or four of these a week to uh to fulfill our job kind of thing
0: that's and true that, that
1: whole idea always like uh was wild to me yeah <laughs> that there was kind of like a cheat on that yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean then maybe they shouldn't have to pump out that much content you know maybe you, you should
1: yeah of course yeah of course. Yeah, but seems this like is a, a horrible world—the oh, yeah. paradigm of arts journalist journalism that we're in. Now.
0: It is unfortunately. Um, do you know how long you've been working as a journalist, like roughly?
1: Yeah, um, so I didn't finish school until 2013, mm-hmm. but I was like writing fairly actively by the end of school, by like 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. And so I usually tell people 2013. Okay. So we're coming up on 10 years.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Congrats.
1: Coming up on 10 years, yeah.
0: Amazing. Yes. Uh, do you remember the first um, journalistic project that you created?
1: Um, I don't remember, Like, like, if, like, I remember like the... I guess there was some component of like the kind of blogging stuff that I was doing that was journalistic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I remember like interviewing a local artist that I liked for it. Um. Oh, actually, I got a weird one for you. It yeah. was before that. It's when I was in school for English and philosophy, and I did a project of in like a. It's like a sci-fi class, I think. Yeah, and I did. A story I don't even know, or not a story. Sorry, an essay about um, black boxes, which uh, was based, like the the programs, the algorithms that uh, some stock traders were using to pick uh, successful stocks. And basically, black boxes mean like you don't know what operations it's doing to pick this thing. But these these black boxes were controlling so many stocks that they would actually affect stock price so it was an example of like an artificial intelligence maybe having some like effect on stock market prices Mm. and this felt like a weird sci-fi dystopian dystopic thing that was like really happening Mm -hmm. and so i convinced my uh teacher that instead of an essay hey what if i like go interview a bunch of uh day traders and like quantitative analysts who like work with this kind of stuff to kind of uh get a better sense of what's going on there and she agreed to it. So that was that was maybe a, an early kind of like weird journalistic mission that, uh, yeah, that kicked it all off. And I, I never really considered that, but that, that was definitely something like that.
0: Totally. Cool. Wait, so what year was that again? Or like what, uh, What? how old were you?
1: That would have been well before, uh, like, so that was maybe like 2007 or 2008 or something like that. Right. It was in a past life it feels like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you say did you say that was high school?
1: Uh that was like uh undergrad.
0: Undergrad. Okay, okay. Undergrad, yeah. yeah. Yeah, seems like a big it project to be taking on.
1: Third or fourth year. I don't know how well I did it but yeah. it was like this weird thing where I took like a university English essay and was like, "Hey, can I actually make like a kind of uh, a piece of journalism like a story out of this like Mm -hmm. an interviewed story Mm -hmm. and yeah that felt like something different uh when you're kind of in the world of um academic essays
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well it seems pretty ambitious i mean that's that's super cool yeah
1: yeah Yeah. um i think i think maybe because i think there was a point in time where i thought like oh do i want to do like you know, you're wondering what do you do with a degree in English and philosophy, and it was like, oh, do I do I do more school about that? Yeah. And I think maybe uh, engaging in a project like that, where I talked to people differently, I was still writing and I was still responding to what I was learning, but uh, it seemed like a more humane and accessible way of, of talking to people versus academic writing. Sure. I think that might have been something that that put a little little light bulb turned a light bulb on in my head.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so you're currently working as a full-time freelancer. Uh, why did you decide to, um, to work as a full-time freelancer? Why did you make that decision instead of, you know, getting a, getting a nine
1: to five? Um, I feel really committed to the things I write about fairly often. That's not always true, but fairly often. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, I just, you know, you get that sense, that story sense, where it's like, oh, that's a story. I should write that. Yeah. And you kind of just get a log of like a a queue of those going in your brain that you got to work on. And if that's the only way that those stories are going to get written because nobody's paying me uh, to be there from nine to five, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I will be totally honest with you. Yes, I am a full time freelancer, but uh, it doesn't mean I don't do other kinds of work as well. Mm -hmm. Um, A part of like. what has made things more secure and stable in the last number of years is uh moving into like uh doing like editing and copy editing for hire i bet you i i definitely make as much money doing that kind of stuff and spend as much time doing that kind of stuff as i do actually writing stories sure and so it's just like different different skills that use you know a little like use a lot of the same skills but a little a different part of the different part of the brain and, uh, they're not as, as draining and stressful to me as writing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it keeps my, keeps my feet in the world.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what do you find, I mean, I totally relate to that. What do you find, um, the most draining, um, about writing?
1: Oh, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. not like, I, you know, is like such a, it's such a cliché. Yeah. But uh, I do find it, like, there are moments where I'm actively writing, as long as, like, the deadline is is farther away, mm-hmm. not always, it doesn't always need to be like that, but, like, as long as I have enough time where I'm like, oh, I'm having fun doing this, I like being creative in this way, but a lot of the times, um, I, I like, I really like interviewing, I like researching a lot, I really like interviewing, I despise transcribing. Oh. Like, it's the worst thing in the world. I would
0: rather um, die. I hate it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, okay, so I, 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 not that long ago, started using, like, a, um, one of those, like, AI tools that helps, you know, ingests your uh, your recording yeah. and then transcribes it for you. How is that? And I'm using, like, I'm using, yeah, I'm using Rev. I'm using, like, the cheap version of it. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty good. Pretty okay. solid. It's definitely... Made it less bad because usually, like the the rule of thumb was to transcribe a full interview; it would take three times as long as the runtime.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and that, like, oh, if you had an hour interview, it's going to take three hours. Uh-huh. Oh, I never want to, you know, I don't want to do that. Uh-huh. Now I despise even the like because I can just listen to it once and kind of correct whatever is wrong. Right. I now I despise that. Even if <laughs> I just listen to that one hour interview once. Yeah. I hate that. So hate that. Um, writing, I find enjoyable but like it has this like kind of there's a two two parts stress to it and one is the like getting everything i really like writing outlines so like Mm -hmm. finding the shape and the way the pieces fit together yes but then like there's that that initial jump off of like committing to like this is how it's gonna start Mm -hmm. and this is the language i'm gonna use Mm -hmm. that is a little bit painful but like you kind of just gotta do it and like i feel like the first quarter of, of especially longer stories the first quarter or first fifth or like just you know the top section of the story takes like almost half the time of the whole story Mm -hmm. like getting the thing set up getting into it in a way that i like that takes me forever and then i have the second panic is when uh i realize like oh, I got too much good stuff to try to fit in here mm-hmm. before my word count runs dry. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, now I got to hammer this all out. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I only got 500 words left, and I got to get through all these cool sections that I planned. So there's kind of that double panic. So, I and I, I, I like, it. there's never a better feeling than once you've, like, filed the thing, like once you sent it off. And it's like, that's a lot of good work done. Yeah. And, like, I, I have no problem editing. Some people hate editing. Unless, like, unless it's a true, like, horror show that comes back from the editor uh, and it's, like, not a thing that you really like anymore. But I, I have no problem editing because, like, as long as, like, the big the big pieces are in, are in place and most of that work is done, I, I think it's a joy to try to, like, polish it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And uh, I don't know if you relate, but I'm totally a rambler. So that whole thing of, like, trying to like, take sections out that you love and, like, trying to condense it. Oh, that's so frustrating, and I, I really relate to that. Yeah,
2: um,
1: I, you know, like they
0: say,
2: like, you gotta kill your darlings.
0: Yeah, uh hmm mm-hmm. uh I, sometimes, it's like, do we have to kill all the darlings? I like, Let's, I let's, some, let's I let know. some of the darlings live. I love know? my darlings, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, what were your, uh, original goals um for your career as a journalist
1: um i started out swinging pretty big Mm -hmm. and it was because of the cushiness of kind of like uh just coming out of school uh having a little bit of success in the canadian world and i had some teachers who said like yeah go try big try Mm -hmm. real big Mm-hmm. And so I like started out like thinking of ideas and pitching to like like in, like Newton like New York Magazine and New York Times and like uh, the Atlantic and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, I wouldn't advise against young journalists trying something like that mm-hmm. because even though like yeah like I, one of them worked only one of those ever really worked. Um, it did like put me in touch with people who were like, oh, no, this pitch shouldn't go to me. It should go to this person. It did, like, expand my Rolodex a lot. Mm -hmm. Even though if those didn't end up, uh, you know, in assignments, uh, it, it gave me a confidence to, like, at least pitch big desks and find the right person. And I think that's a pretty worthwhile exercise. So, yeah, when I started out, I wanted to be in, like, big, glossy magazines. You know, like that old... Uh, that old vision of the like magazine writer who like gets to like go cool places and see interesting things and then write reportage about it, which is absolutely something that does not exist at all anymore unless you're like one of six people mm-hmm. uh, who's already been doing it for a thousand years. Um, that was my ambition. And then it became like, oh, more, uh, you know, it's more likely that. There's a a a bit of a, a niche in, in Canadian art writing that I could fill and I'm really in, enjoying getting to know this world. And it feels good to write about this stuff that isn't getting written about all the time. And and so it became like, Oh, maybe this is the world that I, I'm gonna live in a little bit more. So
2: Yeah. That's that's how
0: I ended up here, yeah, yeah, uh and what did the like Canadian arts journalism scene look like when you first kind of jumped into it? um who were like the big magazines uh, that you were looking to write for uh what was what was kind of buzzing uh, and what was it like to look for work uh, in the Canadian arts journalism field? so uh, at that
1: point in time. Like I said, I was like writing for, um, I was writing for like a, a music magazine. I was listen, listen. I was their staff writer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: quote unquote. But I was it was a freelance position, <laughs> mm. <laughs> so I was their most regular writer, what they considered their staff writer. And I think it said that in my bio. But I was like a freelance
2: job. Oh, uh,
1: they paid me regularly some few hundred bucks a, uh, a week, kind of thing. But yeah. Whatever it worked, yeah. But um, so at that point in time, in terms of music, there was like a lot more. Uh, large public, not large, but like medium sized publications. Some were only online as TriTac was to tackle it at that point in time. Uh, Exclaim was around. You uh, mm-hmm. have experience with Exclaim. Um, I was looking at those kinds of places. There was also a lot more alt weeklies at that point in time. So, like, mm-hmm. Toronto Star used to run a thing called, well, I don't want to get this wrong. Toronto Star was um, the grid. Mm hmm. They had an all, their own all-weekly called The Grid that was, like, very committed to arts journalism. Uh, there was, just before that, iWeekly. Now Magazine was a bigger thing with bigger bigger budgets at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was looking. There was, like, a number of options, it felt like. There were some websites, and the names are going to escape me at this point in time, that actually, like, paid okay money. Mm-hmm. This was the burgeoning era of Vice, and Vice was paying actually okay for articles at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so I was doing that stuff uh, in terms of like visual arts. Uh, Canadian Art, rest in peace, was mm-hmm. a very like important magazine for me starting out writing about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had, uh, I kind of lived through a few different eras of that magazine before it folded uh, officially folded last year, but kind of folded a little bit before that. Um, and there was some other. C Magazine, border Crossings, like, other, they're kind of located in different parts of Canada that I've always been familiar with, but always, like, and thought, like, oh, that's a place I could write for, but haven't necessarily, like, reached out and made those connections. Um, on top of that, I th- always felt like a lot of the newspapers at that point in time had more active art beats, and so it seemed like a thing that I could pitch, um, like you know, if, if there was a story, you could pitch the start a little bit stacker, or whoever else, and uh, and get something in there, and that's not it's not true to say that that's not the case anymore. But they just had more regular coverage of that stuff, so it seemed like a livelier beat that you could just kind of jump into.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, how did you feel? Uh, what were the average rates for for freelance work back then? And like, did it depend on the size of the project, the size of the publication? type of project uh what were the average rates and do you think that they were fair
1: um i, I you know it, i don't think the rates have changed a ton okay and that's like the most disturbing yeah. like i don't what other industry could you look at the the cost like the, what it paid 10 years ago mm-hmm. and be like yeah it's about the same mm-hmm. um I would say, like, most, most like, to, to give you a hard numbers, to give you real numbers, most newspapers at that point in time were paying, like, 25 to 40 cents a word. Maybe 50 cents a word would be, like, a real great rate. Mm-hmm. And that would have to be, like, a national-sized newspaper. Yeah. Um, once in a while, nowadays, you'll see national papers paying a little bit more than that, but not a lot more than that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think it's pretty regular when I write for a newspaper that I'm still making, like, 30, 40 cents. Yeah. That's... That's probably regular. Um, magazines have always varied based on the size of the magazine. And magazines that are, like, run by, like, like non-profit organizations, which kind of covers a lot of the arts ones, aren't super well-funded. And I feel like they've got a little bit better at paying their contributors, but a lot of them have also died.
2: Mm-hmm. Some of the ones
1: that paid really well, like Canadian art, paid decently. Yeah. Paid fairly, at least. That's died. Um, so I find sometimes read art stories... If uh, if I really want to get a story out there and nobody who's going to pay for it uh, is willing to take it, like I just gotta go to a place who like might pay me like a hundred bucks for like a thousand word story or something like that, just because you want it out there. But you can only do like that's like you can only do one of those a year, two uh-huh. of those a year. You really can't do that kind of work. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, largely, and like the the kind of Cadillac magazine rate like the magazine rate you always wanted was a buck a word
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i think that's still the case like like there's the odd job that uh once in a while i hear of more than a buck but for the most part like a buck is still the rate
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: and like those stories like a, a, a large magazine store takes a tremendous amount of work so though that that sounds like a really great price uh those those stories take a lot of work and, and oftentimes like there's definitely magazine stories where i was getting that buck word where i told about my hours it was like getting Minimum wage, are like slightly better than minimum wage, kind of thing. It's so depressing. Yeah, but it, like you find a mix of of jobs, and and at, being at it for a while, you kind of expand your network, so you can kind of like take a balance of like, well, oh, these are, are here's a job here that like I know tons of people aren't gonna aren't gonna see, like it might be for like a school or like an institution, and it might not be very public and flashy, but I know they pay really well, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna take that job and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to work on this big, long project that I know is going to take a lot of work. And so you, you kind of find a way to balance all of those things at once.
0: Yeah, yeah. It takes time and, like, trying a whole bunch of things out and, like, definitely doing a lot of shitty work. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. You find your you find your regulars, and uh, and you stick with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you yeah.
1: find your regulars, and you find a mix. And you know what? The regulars, <laughs> they, they often... Sometimes you get regulars that stay with you for a long time, mm-hmm. but just the the nature of budgets and the way things change, I, I find that you're often like surfing, like the good jobs, like mm-hmm. like oh I, like it's, I'll have one that lasts for like six months where they get you a, a ton and pay well, and you really gotta go with it at that time, or maybe a couple years. But at some point in time, you'll be like, oh, we don't have the budget anymore, and you gotta find a new one, and and it is a uh, it's a it's a challenge of finding those balancing kind of all these different income sources but it's something you gotta
0: do yeah yeah oh no i've had that recently where uh yeah i had to stop freelancing with a place because yeah their budget just ran dry didn't have the money anymore and uh that sucks sucks
1: oh i mean certain newspapers i've been through like so many spells where it's like oh the faucet's turned off now we got no freelance budget mm-hmm. and then i'll hear from them like six months later and it's like Oh uh, I'd like to sign you up for I've got these two or three stories we'd like you to do. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: there's not a lot you can do about it, but just uh just kinda drift to who's got the who's got the fossil on at that point in time. Yeah. It's a really crude way of putting it and looking at it, but when it's about like survival that kind <laughs> of freelance <career laughs> takes, right? Yeah. That's what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um uh t- did you see um, many arts journalists working in the field, again, like when you first kind of started? Um, and if so, what kind of jobs were they landing? If any, what was that culture like? Did they have to sort of, you know, work a cafe job, um, you know, while freelancing? Um, did you, were you aware of that?
1: Um I think a lot of the people I was looking at were like people who had kind of landed those few very precious legacy media roles, and those are the people I was I was talking to. So they were like they were set. Mm-hmm. But when I think about like like people who are working as like art critics and stuff like that, and music critics, like oh yeah, they all worked other jobs and uh, did other stuff. If they were like committed to that's so what they want to do, yeah. And I've had so I've had these experiences a couple of times where like a couple of the names that I was following, uh, or maybe I wasn't following at the time, but like I've run into their names now.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's like, Oh, they wrote, they wrote a lot in the, you know, period just before me. And maybe I'm researching something and I'm finding all their old articles. I've since like run into a couple people after the fact in totally different roles. Now they work in, you know, uh, they're a curator or they work in museum administration or whatever. And they'll be like, oh, freelancing. Yeah, I did that. It's a tough go. It's impossible to make money. (laughs) So yeah, I I, I did have this sense where like uh, a lot of people decide at some point that like it's not for them and they move on to something else.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Did you um, have you found it easier to. Um, let's say, ask for higher rates or find better quality publications or better quality contracts, um, the more experience that you've had? Or, I mean, you mentioned before that, I mean, depressingly, the rates haven't changed much. um, But have you found that that experience uh, behind you has helped you with that at all?
1: Yeah, I do find that better jobs tend to find. Yeah, like I said, not always, like once in a while, it's like the, you know, the the high-profile, cool story um, that they they come and find you. Usually, gotta pitch those things though. But mm-hmm. like once in a while, they'll come and find you, and that feels really good. And that has a thousand. That's everything to do with your experience. They've read your work, or they've been told like, "Oh, you want a story about that?" That you gotta go talk to this person. But that's that that happens infrequently. What what this experience usually does is like those like good paying jobs that maybe aren't as public or high-profile that like really are your kind of bread and butter, they find you more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, whether it's working for schools or, or uh, doing some like corporate writing or writing for institutions, I, I've always found that stuff found me more easily as my name was out there more for the kind of higher profile public uh, stuff that was in legacy media and magazines.
2: Mm hmm.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. And, um, how, how was cutting your teeth in the business? Was it, um, was it really difficult to build up that, uh, that resume and start to be taken seriously? And like, how would you, what kind of timeline would you give to somebody who is just starting out?
2: So like,
1: I, I, I think I had some, some quick successes that were like really encouraging to me, mm-hmm. but once in a while when I am like searching through my email for something old, I'll like stumble upon like an ancient pitch. And like, I have, there's so, so, so many of them that like, Oh, the editor maybe didn't respond to, or it got rejected. And sometimes I'll be like, Oh, this was a good story. I wish I got to write this. And sometimes I'll be like, wow, that's a terrible idea. I'm surprised I went with that. Yeah. But I, I didn't realize at the time, and it maybe didn't feel like it. Yeah. But I pitched a lot. Like, I, I threw out a lot of story ideas. Yeah. And some got to, taken, but not all of them. Certainly not all of them got taken. And I, I didn't feel, I don't remember feeling rejected or poorly about that. Mm-hmm. Of course, I want you want your ideas when you're excited about an idea. You want to get the green light, right? You want to, to go for it. But I don't remember feeling poorly about that, and so maybe that <laughs> that obliviousness of just being a happy puppy that was willing to just keep throwing out ideas mm-hmm. um, was very positive.
2: because
1: uh, mm-hmm. like, it didn't feel at the time like I was getting rejected a lot or like I wasn't getting traction. But when I look back, like maybe like one of every three or four pitches was getting like taken. yeah. Um, and like, that's, you know, that's like pitching is like one of the biggest skills of of freelancing, right? It's that kind of upfront salespersonship that you have to do, which, uh, some people find fun and some people find annoying, Mm -hmm. but it's about like selling the idea. So I kind of like it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't realize (laughs) how often I was failing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was maybe a blessing.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I
1: wasn't getting the sign like, oh, this isn't working out. Uh, I was, I, I guess, getting enough of those green lights, those good signs of people uh, willing to work with me that it kept me interested. Yeah. And I would say, let me look back at something. So I finished school in 2013. Mm-hmm. It's always nice to have like a bit of a goal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I say that, and I, I, I'm not sure that I've necessarily had a goal in the last couple of years, but like starting out, it seemed important for me to have a goal. Like I want to get in the Globe and Mail or I want to write for the this. Right. And to like really try and tackle that. And it, if it didn't happen that year, that's fine. But like to have a thing that you're going to try to do, that seemed important. And it gave me uh, enough satisfaction to accomplish some of those things that like, kept me in the game. Like I was getting enough signs that like okay you're not so bad at this. Like you're having some successes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and so I think I think goals are really important.
2: Absolutely. And like I,
1: I say that and like I haven't had a goal in a couple years. Like I should set a goal. I should yeah. probably do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I you literally I'm like, oh, who do I really want to write for? Like I'm gonna start writing that down and uh and, and aiming for that. Yeah.
1: I used to spend like not a long time, but like I don't know, like tracking things down is like, uh, that's a journalistic skill, right? Like, that's the thing that you're, you're kind of probably a little better at than other people. Um, I used to really like having to find like editors' emails. Yes. Guess at editors' emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, find out who the person is and then try and find their email. I love the um, hunt. Like, I got like a weird pleasure out of that when I was yeah. Much younger.
2: <laughs> yeah, right? No, <laughs> me too. It, it
1: definitely got me in some doors that I wouldn't have been if I, I was just emailing the general. Art's desk, or submissions
2: line, or whatever—you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also,
1: a weird tip uh, that seems scary, but like, if you've emailed an editor and you're just not hearing back, I definitely did this when I was younger, and I haven't done it in a while. But like, I would—I would straight up call the office. Mm. and like try and get a hold of them be like oh hey did you see my pitch okay i i remember like calling the new york times like an editor (laughs) at the new york times yeah like hey did you see my pitch and like i got an answer from her great it it got an answer from her in the end so like that was a g-school taught me anything it's like don't be scared to bug people a little
0: bit yeah very true (laughs) very true Yeah. yeah Um, I mean, nowadays, I don't know how many, um, magazines have physical phones that might be more difficult to find, but, I'm um, noted. I will look.
2: Yeah. I mean, the New York Times is
1: the, the, the old school of old school offices. Sure. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe that's a rare example. Of that. Yeah.
0: But especially with COVID and everybody working from home now, it's like, I don't know how many places actually have that anymore. Right. Like, yeah,
1: yeah, but, totally. Yeah. Um, but don't be but don't be scared to bug people. That's the that's the thing to underline. If it's like three or four uh, emails bumping like, hey, did you see this? I'd just like to hear back. Yeah. I've never had any qualms with anything like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I hate I hate to bring it up, but you know, we are living in a, a COVID nineteen world. Um, uh-huh. you know, different from twenty nineteen. Um how has arts journalism changed? How has this industry changed? um what have you seen change for you personally and and what has shifted uh in the industry in general
1: that's a big big question it so is what happened immediately was the size of the art section went to zero yeah lots of papers cut the art sections yeah uh i was doing a column with the globe and mail at that point in time and it just got like yeah, <laughs> and it Jesus. was about, like, traveling to go see, it was about, like, art shows happening elsewhere, so yeah. there was, like, a real travel angle to it, and it's, yeah. like, yeah, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, I, the arts section got gutted, which was already happening, it was already being hollowed out, but, mm-hmm. like, COVID, for a period of time, made it go to zero.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I was, you know, just, like... Living on CERB at that point in time, trying to trying to find what kind of work we could do. Yeah. Um. But I think uh, it it changed things for me in that like I I learned that there was a lot more stories that you know like I could do from home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, like just getting somebody on the phone talking okay. to them, I could I could write a lot of stories. Yeah. Um. I haven't. <laughs> and I've worked for a magazine since I haven't really been like the idea of like a travel budget has never really come up again. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a thing that's done with or a thing that's like, uh, uh, like kind of rarer, rarer now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I feel like I have noticed like a bigger push recently from both the globe and the star. So the big, big newspapers, um, really trying to enliven their art section again, mm-hmm. because yeah, putting a little push on it because, um, those are really colorful sections, and like, if you're if you're committed to telling stories of place, like, like arts does that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I've also seen COVID kind of it was the death knell for a few big arts magazines mm-hmm. and newspapers already stretched in, You know, like uh, advertisers had just kind of gone away, and that was like. Enough to kill a couple, a couple big, uh, trusty outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that the ramifications of COVID are like entirely entirely figured out yet. I have, like I said, seen a little bit of a push from some of these places uh, to put more of a spotlight on arts journalism, but we'll yeah. see. Like I said, these <laughs> budgets change and priorities shift quickly, so. Yeah. 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 I'm not certain which way we're going just yet.
0: I know. Me either.
1: I would love to see, you know, I've talked about a bunch of magazines. I'd love to see something new come up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm praying for a renaissance. I know. Yeah, It seemed
1: exciting. Yeah. Exciting, but not just like, uh, exciting, but we can't pay you anything. (laughs) Like exciting, but we're going to pay pay writers fairly. I would love to see something new come up.
0: Totally. Yeah. Me too. Um, this is where I have my question. Um, do you have any frustrating stories about working with artists or publications? And you shared a bit before, can you think of any other stories that you may have?
1: Uh, working with artists, um, artists are often terrified that you're going to get it wrong. Mm. That you're
2: going
1: to misrepresent them. Mm. Um, And we'll ask you sometimes to do some kind of unjournalistic things to make them feel better. Like, Mm. uh, like show them your transcripts or pre-approve a story. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: you have to do the the walk where it's like, Oh, that's not something that's allowed for such and such a reason. But you have to kind of do that work still to, to convince them that you want to, you want to portray them accurately. Like that's what your goal is. Yeah. And so I've had lots of artists who are, who are, are a little afraid of talking to journalists because of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I would say that that's the, the biggest, the biggest concern, especially because, like, a lot of, like, visual artists, musicians, they don't have, like, media training. Yeah. Uh, they, they're not sure how they're going to be depicted, and, like, uh, the work that they're doing is, like, and, and, and its significance is, like, one of the most important things to them. Yeah. And getting it wrong in public... Can really have a profound effect on like their livelihood.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: like there is there is a real risk, right? Um, that has been I think a, a thing like a fear that you have to allay. That you like you have to sympathize with, but you have to allay. And you can't just like say like all right, yeah, I'm going to let you uh, okay this article before it goes out there. But you have to somehow convince them that you've done your part of the work and you're not in it to 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 tear them apart. You're in you're in it to be honest.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I've dealt with my fair share of that as well of, you know, of edits and, and that kind of thing. Um, not, not, not a huge extent. Um, but I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, about publications, like frustrating things with publications. mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like a a thousand things like, like, uh, heavy handed editors. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, but also sometimes if the editor doesn't touch it, that can be (laughs) <laughs> that can be bad for a whole other bunch of reasons, too. Yeah. Um, like, uh, you know, I, I, I really hate when people rush you, especially thinking in the newspaper world, rush you to hit a deadline and then hold your story for, like, two or three weeks. They don't play it. And, like, you have to, like, rewrite parts of it because it's no longer timely in that way. Oh, God. Um, yeah. So I hate being kind of, like, mishandled by, by certain places. Um, of course, lots of times the pay could be better yeah okay, can be fair so um, th- those are like those are the frustrations those mm-hmm. are the frustra- that there aren't the biggest frustration is is like with the industry just that there aren't more outlets that there aren't more places uh, supporting that work.
0: yeah, 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 I know I know um Chris, what are the things you hate about what you do
1: <laughs> um Talked about transcribing. <laughs> we <would be> did. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the thing I hate the most. Mm-hmm. Um, things I hate about what I do. There aren't many. That's a good sign. Even <laughs> good. Though I feel yeah. like I've been a, I've been such a black cloud. Yeah, I, like, I feel like I've been a rain <laughs> cloud. Um, I don't. I don't hate a lot of it. Yeah. Like I feel like good. I get to like think about cool things and be curious and talk to interesting people really often. Mm -hmm. And that's like really enlivening to me. Like that's like a real blessing. Uh feels like in my life. Mm -hmm. And so like yeah, I hate transcribing. I wish I got paid more. That like those are those are real frustrations. Like I wish I got paid more. Uh that whole analogy of of being in line for like what I thought might be a stable job doing this. If I did it, if I was you know willing to do it or if I was going to do a good enough job doing it that I might actually like uh, have a secure job one day that that doesn't exist that's a frustration yeah. but like in terms of what my day-to-day stuff is there's not a lot that i hate like
2: mm-hmm. that's
1: a frustration with the industry and it, it isn't necessarily a frustration with the, the job itself
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah absolutely um what can we do what can the huh, what can like the industry do to uh make it easier on art journalists in general. Um, What do we need to do to, uh, to help support uh, art journalists and uh, you know, what needs to be put in place to, um, to make our job easier to help support us, et cetera.
1: I think it could be an expanded beat. Like I I think it, it deserves just um, more pages. It deserves more, uh, more resources. Mm -hmm. Um, So that takes like, some adventurous editors, yeah. Who, and sometimes that means some editors who aren't just uh, paying attention, or or um, who aren't just making all their decisions by their Google Analytics, by their metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, because some sometimes those stories don't seem sexy, mm-hmm. and arts historically aren't the best performing. Uh, you know, hit makers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes there's some really great stories there. But it's also just an area that deserves to be covered um, because there's so much action happening there. It is such a live beat, uh, like it, it's it's such a, 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 a vivid and vital world uh, that there's always so much movement that deserves to be talked about. I do think it just it it really requires the resources it requires newspapers and magazines to say like oh arts should get more pages it deserves more representation like and who's doing that good work who's talking about those things and and connecting with those people to help tell those stories i think i think that's important Mm and i i do think that people like you and i sarah that there aren't a lot of people who got into writing about arts because it is kind of like a dismal job market yeah uh, like, I think there should be more voices writing about art, too. Yeah. Like, and that's, like, you know, saying, like, there should be more competition for us. That's not exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. But I just think yeah. there should be a lot more people writing about art. Like, it shouldn't be, like, such a, like, uh, you know, like, one-horse race kind of thing. Like, I think mm-hmm. there should be a lot more people writing about music and visual art.
2: And, mm-hmm. uh,
1: like, I had to... Somebody asked me if I knew somebody who writes about dance. And forgive me, there's, I guarantee there's a wonderful, super talented uh, Canadian dancer out there, but like I have been encountering them. I don't know who that is. And that should be something that exists. Yeah.
0: Me either. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. I know some people that cover theater, but like not dance as a beat and that, that, that should be covered. That's very interesting.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, it's just, uh, it's it's such a thing that like once upon a time, like those beats existed and were funded and and they were given attention, whether they got clicks or not. When people were just reading newspapers, they weren't really sure about what people were reading, what they weren't reading. right? But now, um, now that everything has been mathed mathed, perhaps to death, um, editors are scared to, to uh, hire art specialists.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And I, I have one question. Um, Why do you think people, so people don't want to pay for art in general. Right. Like it's it's a well-known, well-known thing. People don't want to pay for art. Um, but I find that like, I mean, journalism and like writing in general is so heavily included in that as well, is that people don't expect to have to pay for that. Um, and why do you why do you think that is?
1: Oh, I think it's because um, in the early Kind of like early web journalism. We gave it away for free mm-hmm. for the price of ads.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: like, uh, like sidebars on your web page was what magically paid for all those people's work. And at a point in time, like those ads were worth some money. Now they're worth pennies. They're worth nothing. So uh, we know that that's why there's a lot more paywalls now and subscription services, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think people just got used to not having to pay in the early web for lots of things. I think the devaluation of art, you know, it's that same era when you get pirating a lot, a lot of music. Um, And now we're not, we're not in the pirating music era, but we're in a hybrid world where it's like, okay, I'm not going to buy every album that I want to, want to get, but I'm going to pay a subscription service, $10. And it's, it's virtually like pirating in that everything is at my fingertips. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like this hybridized world. And like, I don't know, there's a lot of people that float, does does journalism move in that way with like um, maybe uh, some sort of a subscription like we've seen some of the magazine apps do it where a a one price kind of gets you pays the cover price for a bunch of different magazines or people have floated like um, micropayments for stories or something like that Mm -hmm. I I don't know, that seems really complicated Mm -hmm. but that does seem to be the way people have increasingly become comfortable uh, paying for art as, as a kind of compromise. I'm not sure it's the, the fairest to the content creators, but it, it does seem like the other side where the consumer market has been kind of willing uh, to meet content producers is with these like big package subscription services. Is that a place that journalism can go? I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, what do you love about the what you do?
1: Oh, I think I I covered this in my what What do I hate? Yeah, <laughs> where I said um, I love being permitted to be really curious.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, to like, I write about art, but I do feel like in the smallest way I get to practice art in my own way by like getting to write creatively and uh, play with language and stuff like that. And I love. Um, being welcome to just dig into like a wide world of research and also to get to talk to really interesting people. Mm -hmm. I love that.
0: Absolutely. Me too. Um, and what can we look forward to seeing from you and like, what are you currently working on?
1: Okay. Um, big questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I just finished a long, feature for the toronto star it was in the saturday paper uh, and it just went online today oh awesome um it is about the mcmichael museum which i'm not sure if you you or your listeners know the mcmichael but the michael is a museum that's in Vaughan, ontario just north of toronto um that is like you know do you know who the group of seven is yes like paintings of, of like you know like really like, like uh, splashy splashing paintings of like trees like expressive paintings of trees mm-hmm. um so michael's kind of like the home of the group of seven like mm-hmm. six of them are buried on the grounds
2: mm-hmm.
1: it has like two thousand works by the group of seven so it's like a shrine to these people um but the museum is kind of like you know it's got this reputation as being like a old-fashioned place because of that like a place you you go with your school trip and then never have to go back because that's what You know what they got there. The group of seven is there. That's what they got. Yeah. Um, But it's about, it's always called itself kind of like the home to the art of Canada. And as we know, like, that's very problematic to think the group of seven were picturing all of Canada. They
2: Mm -hmm. were picturing
1: a very certain vision. You know, like, like they were like uh, settler Canadians, like second generation Canadians, some of them immigrants themselves, who were just like enamored by the, the landscape doesn't look nothing like England or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it doesn't, doesn't represent all of Canada. The leadership at this museum is now trying to evolve to better represent a kind of wider and more diverse vision of Canada. And so it, it's, can this place become a true vision of Canada? So it's a long, long future story about exactly that. Next, what am I working on is um, I did a series of videos for TVO last year. That were kind of educational, uh, like starting at like middle school kids about important and iconic Canadian artworks, hmm. and we focused on six artworks. So we did season one last year, and I'm just about to start a season two.
0: Amazing!
1: And so we're just at the very initial stages of deciding what are these, what's the next batch of these uh, important and iconic artworks that we're going to highlight this go around.
0: Cool, cool. Well, that's, that's probably th-
1: the next big, big project that I'm working on.
0: Yeah. Well, those are incredible. And, like, I'm I'm very interested in those. And I'm really happy to hear that you're working on some really cool stuff.
2: Thank you. But like yeah. I said, it's like, get
1: those big ones on the, on the you know, have them on the stove. But you got to have lots of other little things going on at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very true. I'm going to start my list right after this.
1: Start your list. <laughs> well, Honestly. Okay. Here's what you have to do. Okay. I'll do it if you do it. Okay. Okay. Pick a place that you want to try to get published in in the next year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Pick a place. And, like, it can be kind of audacious. Like, my list was initially fairly audacious. Yeah. Um. And, like, try. Like, you, at, at, within a year, a story will come to that you'll be like, yeah, that's the right one for it. Mm-hmm. And try. Just try. Mm-hmm. Because even if you don't get it in there, you'll probably make the contact with that editor. And, like, just in in the act of pitching, they might say, like, yeah, we're going to pass on this one. But hey, it was great to meet you. You could send me some ideas. And that's like really encouraging in itself.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 I'll do that. I'll do that literally do right it, after I'll this. Okay. Like I
1: said, I haven't done it in a few years, but I'll do it.
0: All right. Pinky promise?
1: Promise. Pinky promise.
0: Yeah. Virtual pinky promise, you know?
1: a Virtual pinky promise.
0: It- <laughs> All right. All right. Locked in. Um, it. <laughs> Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me tonight, Chris. This is cool.
1: It was great. It was nice to talk to you, Sarah.
0: Yeah, at any time, like literally any time. Um, totally.
1: Have yourself a good evening.
0: You too. And uh, everybody listening, you can go follow Chris right now on Instagram under Chris Period Hampton and on Twitter under Chris R Hampton. And uh, you get that website up too.
1: Oh yes, yeah. I promise Sarah, that I'll make a website. Yes, yes. Follow me on Instagram for now. that's where that's where the action at.
0: There we go. He's mainly on Instagram, but there is a Twitter if you want to follow that. So go ahead. All right. Well, you have a great night, dude.
1: Thank you, Sarah. You too. Bye-bye. No worries.
0: Bye-bye.